The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Out there? Good. It occurred to me when we were sitting here that um, it's really an amazing and beautiful thing that we choose to come together like this and just sit still and quiet and breathe together and be together without doing anything. And I thought... uh, we're making peace we're practicing peacemaking and that was a lovely thought Um, I have been part of uh, IMC and also our retreat center for a number of years and also practiced in the Zen tradition for quite a while including uh, uh, training and ordination as a priest. And before that, Quaker, or along with that, Quaker, and uh, several others. <laughs> um, at the moment, literally, I'm just finishing a year-long program in chaplaincy training uh, in a hospital setting. And um, that's learning how to offer spiritual and emotional care to people in the hospital, people of any faith or none, although I don't believe none so much anymore. (laughs) Everybody has something they seem to be connected to. It may not be religion. And then to help them connect with their inner resources, whatever those are, and, and to cope with what's happening to them, or maybe even thrive in some cases as they share um, what's arising in that hospital bed. Um, before I, I uh, was involved in Zen and Vipassana and Quakerism, I was born a Methodist and uh, made a little foray into the Evangelical United Brethren tradition and then uh, the Episcopal Church. So I'm kind of an intra-faith chaplain. (laughs) Um, And that's been very helpful in this work. I also want to acknowledge that I came to this out of the Sati Center Buddhist Chaplaincy Program, which is taught here and which Gil created and teaches with several other teachers. It grew out of uh, 9-11 and Gil's response to that event and, in I guess in my words, wanting to um, offer something that would help people be peacemakers. So um, that is a wonderful program. And if any of you, you don't have to think about being a chaplain if any of you uh, are drawn to spiritual care for one another. um, I highly recommend it.
I also had a, a dream during this um, uh, training program I'm in that I was walking in a construction site and it was a beautiful building being made. There was a curving wall with windows in it and um, the materials were really good and the design was beautiful and I thought to myself um, it's really wonderful that someone is putting all these resources into this beautiful interfaith chapel because that's what I realized it was and it made me really happy and uh, I realized after I woke up that was me (laughs) that that this uh, program which is kind of immersion because it's both educational and clinical work back and forth back and forth Um, it took a lot of resources inner and outer to join it and especially at my age (laughs) Um, so that was a lovely guiding dream and tonight what I've been kind of pondering lately and feeling enlivened by is this interfaith. What is this interfaith? What is it to um, help people realize across faith lines um, what's helpful to them and valuable to them? And um, where that's led me is connecting with uh, what I'm calling the place where words come from or the words under the words. So when we have an interaction, what's going on underneath what we're saying? So I want to explore that and a little bit about how that relates to Buddhist practice for me. I have a question, however, and that is... Uh, several. How many of you uh, have practiced in a religious tradition for a long time? Okay. And how many of you have practiced in more than one tradition? And how many are still practicing in more than one? Interesting. We are an interfaith group. (laughs) I want to tell a story about a Quaker. Um, His name was John Woolman. He traveled, he was born in this country in the 1700s and traveled with four Quakers in this country. Quakers are um, a Christian tradition, but I would say a non-traditional Christian tradition, an alternative. And um, Quakers gather in silence, and uh, if moved to speak to the group, they stand and speak briefly, kind of like a little Dharma talk, (laughs) and then sit down, and more silence. And so, apparently, um, in this early, in the early days of Quakerism in this country, some of the native peoples took up this practice, and John Woolman was 
traveling in the ministry among what are called in his journal the Delaware Indians or the Delaware Native people. And they gathered in a meeting for worship, which is what the, the, the worship time is called, about 60 of them. And uh, they were attempting to uh, translate, but it was rough because nobody there really had a grasp on bl- both languages. And so when he stood to speak, um, he said, let's just stop the translation. And he spoke his ministry to the group that was gathered in silence. And he sat down, and the meeting finished. And um, he saw the spiritual leader of the group talking to the interpreter and later heard that this uh, chief had said, I love to hear where words come from. So they didn't have a common language. They don't have. They didn't have uh, common culture. But simply by hearing the ministry of this Quaker, uh, this spiritual leader was moved by the depth of the ministry. And in in my work, I I'm trying to learn how to listen more deeply. in these uh, chaplaincy interactions. And so that place where words come from has been going round in me. There's a Palestinian-American poet named Naomi Shihab Nye, and she writes uh, a beautiful poem called The Words Under the Words. And in it, she's sharing about her Palestinian Muslim grandmother. And um, in the end, she says, My grandmother's eyes say, Allah is everywhere, even in death. When she talks of the orchard and the new olive press, when my grandmother talks about the orchard and the new olive press, when she tells the stories of Joha and his foolish wisdoms, little teaching stories, he, Allah, is her first thought. What she really thinks of is his name and says, answer if you hear the words under the words. Otherwise, it's just a world with a lot of rough edges, difficult to get through, and our pockets full of stones. So her eyes say, Allah is everywhere. And when she's talking about the orchard, she's talking about Allah. And the olive press, she's talking about Allah. And she says to us, if you hear the words under the words, then answer. Otherwise, we're just walking around in our suffering. In chaplaincy, 
um, that language as metaphor is very useful. We listen under the words for the metaphor uh, that person's talking about something, but they're really talking about something else, maybe. I had a patient who, for some reason, we got started talking about her mother's experience of the 1906 earthquake. I don't know how we got there. And after a while, I said to her, have you, I have a a curious question, is there an earthquake happening in your life of any kind? And she started to cry and said, I was just diagnosed with a stroke. And so the earthquake was in the room and in the words, but under the words was her shock and fear and um, all that all this meant and would mean and all the not knowing that she was in. And I remember myself being heard in this way. Someone listening to the words under my words. Um, I had a difficult case in the birth center. And I couldn't get it out of my mind. I was really emotionally affected by it. And so I was sharing this with my supervisor, my teacher there. And he listened and kind of held what I was saying. And then he said, what comes to mind when you see the image that that you can't quite let go of. What comes to mind? And immediately, my own granddaughter came to mind. She was uh, born in difficult circumstances and was in the NICU, the intensive care, for 10 days. And, uh, And he heard something under what I was saying and went down there and found we found Phoebe <laughs> and that allowed me to release a lot of uh, feeling that was all tied up in this other situation it didn't belong to that at all um, so I, I feel the value and the uh, healing that can happen when we listen to each other that way this isn't just chaplaincy. This is going out for your to dinner with your friend and all of a sudden you're under uh, the subject that you thought you were talking about. Juan Ramon Jimenez wrote a poem called Oceans which describes this place for me again where words come from. He says, I have a feeling that my boat has struck down there in the depths against a great thing and nothing happens. Nothing. Silent waves nothing happens or 
has everything happened and are we standing now in the new life? I have a feeling that my boat, my life, has struck down there in the depths under all the words against a great thing. And nothing happens. Nothing is what's happening. (laughs) And then we realize we're connecting with a whole other subject or time or energy. And it can bring us new life. It can bring us... um, insight I sometimes feel this in post retreat practice if we've been on a long retreat and we come out it's like what just happened wow So in daily life, how does this place under the words, um, this place where words come from, how do we connect with that? And another Quaker, Thomas Kelly, a Quaker mystic he's called, uh, puts it this way. He talks about life on two levels. And I think of this as in our mindfulness practice. We're going about our daily life, but if we're in our mindfulness practice too, then it's different. There's a way of ordering our mental life on more than one level at once. On one level, we may be thinking, discussing, seeing, calculating, meeting all the demands of external affairs. But deep within, behind the scenes, at a profounder level, and he uses some Christian language, we may also be in prayer and adoration, song and worship, and I love this part, a gentle receptiveness to divine breathings. (laughs) So he's talking about living in our daily life, meeting everything, and at the same time, having this other awareness, which um, I think of as the place where words come from. In our mindfulness practice, I think of it as a kind of benevolent awareness. It it seems to me that being in that state of mind and heart opens us to natural wisdom and compassion. It's there. In the Christian tradition, uh, sometimes people talk about praying without ceasing. Same thing. Keeping the connection going. Not to something, but a kind of uh, 
Larry Dossie wrote a lot about healing words, about prayer. He's a doctor who prayed his whole career for his patients because he believed it was medically called for because it works. And he talks about in his in his book, Healing Words, how that works. And uh, he talks about a state of prayerfulness. So prayerfulness or... Um, mindfulness or uh, feeling the divine breathings. What nourishes uh, this connection to this place where words come from is a question I ask myself. And for me, um, Spiritual friendships do that. Interfaith experiences do that. Uh, Joining other traditions from my own. Reading other texts and teachings. And sharing with people who have other um, ways of holding all of this. Um, Sometimes think of it as a practice with no name. (laughs) not exactly Buddhism, it's not exactly Christianity, but something's going on. Um, And the connections themselves nourish it. So when I have a visit with someone in the hospital and it starts flowing in both directions, um, we've entered that place underneath all the words. But for me, the ground of these connections is in my Buddhist practice and in the Buddhist teachings. Those have been the most um, helpful in connecting with a vast and still and silent place um, under the words, under the thoughts. Uh, a place. This is a place that includes everything. Nothing is excluded in the Zen tradition. There's the circle, the Enzo, and everything is included. It. This. These practices show me the space around all these words and concepts. Here I am, talking about words under the words, and I'm using all these words, <laughs> and all the teachings are words and. Uh, and yet they feel like words that can lead us beyond the words. This is a place of, of our insight, of our ahas. They don't come from our heads, at least they don't come from my head. They come, I think, more down here. <laughs> um, And I think that nourishing this connection is not about, it's not about building bridges. It's about kind of walking through the mist until it clears and there's the bridge. It's already there. And that, and the practices of meditation and studying the teachings um, 
and mindfulness practice. Help clear that mist. So I'm curious, as you sit and listen, what's arising in you? Um, How do you experience this place under the words or where the words come from, this deep place? Um, And how do you nourish that place? I'd love to hear from you. What came to me is oneness. Just really oneness. All and I'm nourishing it with uh, learning to be aware and with mindfulness. Yeah, I really liked the different depth that you've talked in. Yeah, just thank you. One of the Suzuki Roshi, who founded the San Francisco Zen Center, uh, would say, "Not one, not two." <laughs> and I think about that. It is. It's two levels in a way, and another way, it's just one. So both, both and. Mm-hmm. Others. Uh, thank you so much for uh, sharing your personal uh, journey. And um, for me, uh, this place or this experience means um, allowing myself to let go and observe, be. And uh, yeah, that's it's like. Uh, laying down or something and um, trying not to fall asleep but trying to be uh, keep being alert mm-hmm. and it always reminds me of you know, you've got this little game that you you have this box with a with a small ball in it and you you have to put it through a maze or something mm. It's like so that it drops in. Yeah, yeah. You have to <laughs> drop it in a in a in a hole. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's like if I allow myself to let stuff go, then it's always like it feels like balancing or something mm-hmm. with my attention. Not too hard. Not too yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it feels like if I give it more words, then yeah, <laughs> I spoiled spoil what I mean mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Mm. To tell, yeah but you you're, you're finding that looking for that balance of yeah. words and and letting go yeah this place under the words mm-hmm. is, is feels like 
balancing in not not too much effort, mm-hmm. not to not not uh, not not too less. Yeah. You may know the story of the Buddha, and let's see if I can tell it. <laughs> yeah, please. The the one who's playing the instrument, and I guess he uses that as an analogy. Not yeah. too tight, not too loose. Yeah. Just right. The middle way. Yeah. <laughs> that balance between yeah. the depths and the words. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then I got lost again. <laughs> <laughs> and then we come home again. Yeah. Over and over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Places in you under the words or how you nourish that place thank you Judith I was trying to think of how do I nourish that and I actually had a conversation yesterday with a group of people at Pete's, who I think are some of the people that really nourish me or nourish that space of um, really being willing to be vulnerable to, oh. to just that, you know, kind of open up and knowing that I'm with people that um, appreciate that and model it for me and uh, resonate in that space. So I found that having, you know, I mean, not all places seem like the right place to be open and vulnerable. At least that's been my experience, mm-hmm. or may- maybe that's not true, but, but it's really helpful to find those places and those people where I can practice that. I can practice being open and vulnerable and Mm -hmm. listening and being listened to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The vulnerability is a very helpful thing to bring in. Yeah. It's kind of an invitation into our vulnerability with one another. Yeah, the chaplaincy is about listening and presence and awareness and availability and and sometimes sharing our vulnerability which then um, helps another person do that as you're describing at Pete's <laughs> yeah I, I remember just a few months ago I went to hear a Vinnie Ferraro give it a day long at Spirit Rock entitled Cultivating the Undefended Heart. Oh. And I told several people, including friends of mine that are practitioners, and their first response was, How that's such a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> like, why would you want to cultivate an undefended heart? So it's still a very, you know, it's still for me something that continually, you know, requires... And why would you? What did you say? (laughs) 
Well, it's the only way that I'll try not to uh, slip into thoughts here, but <laughs> what I think is most valuable is what comes forward when the heart's not defended. You know, that it's not something that's accessible unless the defenses are down. And so that's what's valuable for me is learning to open like that more and more in in, in a wise way. Mm. Mm. In a wise way. Mm -hmm. So you go to a place and do that with a bunch of people who want to come and do that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Anything else on your mind? Hi. <laughs> Don? I'm going to see if I can formulate this into words or not. <laughs> <laughs> or we could just stay under the words. <laughs> yes. When the self is no longer at the center of things, then simplicity and contentment arise for me. Arise? Mm -hmm. And when simplicity and contentment arise, there's an opening to this vast potentiality and space that... Can hold this body, heart, and mind, and whoever else happens to be present at the time. Mm-hmm. And I find that deeply nourishing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, uh, when you talk about the vast space, it feels like a bubble. Mm-hmm. That all of a sudden, with this person, we're in a bubble, <laughs> um, yeah. and it, that that's what I associated. Everything got really simple. We're just here. And we can meet there. Sometimes I think of it as the music underneath the words. Mm. But the music is mostly silence. Yeah. 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 Thank you for your talk. It's a beautiful offering. Well, if you don't have anything else to say, and I want to be sure that's true, I'm going to pick up on what you just said and sing you a song that speaks to me. These words speak to me of the place beneath words. Be still and listen Till only one voice can be heard Be still and listen To one 
It's all I've been trying to say. Know that I love you. But trying and talking keep blocking the way. Be still and listen till only one voice can be heard. Be still.